When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's going on, everybody? This is Talking Tactics. Now, we're in here to do some World Cup previews. This is episode one, group A, of these previews. Um, Remember to follow us on Twitter, follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are on social media, whatever podcast platform you listen to. Remember to follow Talking Tactics. Um, Over the next week, we're going to be taking you through these World Cup groups. So tomorrow's going to be B, Thursday's going to be Group C, and so on and so forth until next Tuesday when uh, we hit you with Group H. All right, so let's start with the host nation. Have hope. How you doing, by the way? I'm all right, you know, breathing, surviving, (coughs) still alive, you know? (laughs) All right. Uh, So, yeah, man, let's let's start out with the host nation, man. We have Russia. How do we feel about Russia being the host nation? This is huge for Russia. Like I keep saying, with every four years, the World Cup gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And hence why countries are all trying to host this World Cup, because they realize, no, this is huge country-wise. I mean, for our country and just for exposure, this is a huge thing to host this event because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So for Putin and for putting Russia on the map, showing what their country is, trying to um, go away with the negative myth. Because again, look, Russia is pretty crazy, but also like Russia has some amazing architecture and cities as as well. So I think he definitely wants this World Cup to go through and just for them to be really good hosts. I was watching some stuff about the fan park. So they're going to do some stuff with like, where you have like free Wi-Fi in the fan zone and everything and get people really interacting with this stuff. So yeah, purely on a political level, Russia definitely wants this to to go ahead. Mm, I mean, Carl always talks about the, the idea of soft power. And how like all these big nations, not even big nations, but just nations in general, want the World Cup at, in their country. That way it shows that they have the kind of clout is a word that's being used, overused these days. But the World Cup is generally like showing you have clout on a, on a world stage, which I find interesting. Um, now, do we know that much about the Russian team in general? I mean, they were god awful at the 2016 euros i mean yeah <laughs> no i i, I mean to, to to be honest i think um for me the only guy i don't even know whether he's playing but the, the but the best russian player that i know of is jagoev and I, but I don't know whether he's actually in the squad or not but i think the thing about russia is them being the host nation and i think once like i i look back to america in, in 1994 they had nobody and i think Look, they, they lost to the eventual winners, Brazil. But even if like they didn't really go, go that far, I think based on just how well they played and how well they did against Brazil in the knockout rounds, that is what spawned America focusing a bit more on football. But I think because of them having it on their home soil, that just raised the level of the teams. I think for Russia, even if they have nobody who, that's known on the world level, because of the host nation, the level will, 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 will be raised. So any player will be playing at like a 200% and a few levels above their actual ab- ability. Yeah, I feel that. All right, so... This is the time where we're going to bring in our guest. Our Russia expert is Toka Thiele, and this is the discussion that I had with him. So enjoy it. Yeah, so my name is uh, Toka Thiele. I'm the editor-in-chief at RussianFootballNews.com, the only and and the best uh, English website about Russian football. So I've been following Russian football for more than a decade now, and it hasn't been boring to say that. (laughs) I've always, always been fascinated with the football history and everything, and then... It all goes back to when Cisco won the UEFA Cup back in 2005. Mm. Uh, I started following the teams. I mean, they played some fantastic football. Then came the Senate won the UEFA Cup. Three years later, Russia had the amazing Euro 2008. And then Mikhail Laudov, the biggest Danish football player ever, went to coach Spartak Moscow. And, and they started showing all the Russian games on Danish TV. So we had a couple of Russian games live every week. And he, he was later sacked. but and, and then the games disappeared. But I kept 
following the league and found the whole mix of politics and football, the history of the, league, uh, the teams and, and Russia and Soviet Union in general, incredibly interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's how it started. And then I did my master thesis on racism in Russian football. And I've been ra- watching so many games, I can't even remember how many anymore. Um, and it has, yeah, as I said, it's never been boring. I mean, Russian football is, is crazy. There's always, always something new coming up. And just as you think you've seen it all, something new happens. Mm. Okay, so obviously the, the World Cup host doesn't have to qualify. You're just in the tournament. How would you describe the lead-up to Russia's tournament? I think they're the, the lowest-ranked team out of all 32 contestants or finalists, I should say. I don't think you should put too much uh, focus on the, the rank on the FIFA on FIFA list because when you're not playing qualifiers, it's quite a, uh, it happens that you, you simply drop on the rankings because you don't play any competitive games. So, mm-hmm. so that's natural. But it, it's very true that the Russian national team isn't in a very good state. It, it, has been, it has been quite poor for the last many years, actually. I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of expectations and even more disappointments. And they, they haven't won a game since um, October last year, and the preparations haven't been going very well. They have a couple of key players injured who will miss World Cup. So I expect them, if I'm perfectly honest, to go out already in the group stage. And I think it'll be, it'll be a failure, unfortunately, because it, it is difficult to be optimistic on behalf of this Russian national team. I was reading just somebody's tweet, and they said they've played, if I can do quick math here, 13 games since 2016 against teams that qualified for the World Cup. They've won one game of those 13 against South Korea. It doesn't exactly bode well for their chances. It really doesn't. I mean, they did play some good games last year, actually. They had, um, first of all, a, an amazing 3-3 draw at, at home against Spain, where it really impressed me. And then the North narrowly won those to Argentina at home as well. Those, those two games were really good. And I think there is some potential in this squad. There are some good players. But then again, they all also played 1-1 against Iran and were demolished by both France and, and, uh, and Brazil recently. So, yeah, it is difficult to be optimistic and and this i mean we saw that the Confederations cup last year as well this russian national team it, it really isn't that good i mean there are some decent players but it's not that good unfortunately the coach is uh, stanislav chertyshev he took over from uh, leonid slutsky after the euro 2016 i wasn't very positive when he took over because he was sort of the safe boring choice the, the russian football union wanted someone who didn't set too many demands uh, both slutsky and uh, fabio capello before him they had a lot of demands they really tried to sort of improved Russian football, changed Russian football, and it caused some yeah, some problems. I mean, the Russian football union, it was quite obvious that they wanted someone who would do his work and not ask for too many things and not be sort of annoying for them. So they took Chetyshev, who is a decent coach. I mean, he has a lot of uh, experience from various Russian teams. He has won the, he's been, he's been coaching Spartak Moscow and Dynamo Moscow. He won the double in Poland with uh, Liga Warsaw a few years ago. And he has a lot of experience as a player as well. He was uh, uh, playing for Dynamo Dresden in Germany. He is a club legend at Spartak Moscow, where he played a couple of hundred games, uh, won a few Russian national uh, Russian championships and played at the World Cup. So he has a nice resume, but but he's not that good a coach, unfortunately. But, but he sort of fit the profile with someone who wouldn't create any problems. He's been experimenting with a few different uh, tactics recently. He tried to play with uh, three defenders and some wing-backs, two strikers up front. He's also played in a 4-2-3-1 with a lone striker up front. But he, his preferred formation is with three central defenders and two offensive wing-backs and two strikers up front. It, it makes sense. I mean, Russia has some decent central defenders. And where Capello and Slutsky tried to fit the players into their system, it, it's obvious that Chesyashev has tried to make a system that works with the player he has available at the moment. And I think that that's a good approach for him, especially leading up to an important event as the World Cup here. And the stars on the team, I mean, most football fans will know guys like Akinfev, Chagoyev, but they are also like the only big stars on this team. They're the only ones who are recognized in general. Maybe Denis Cherishev from Villarreal as well. In my opinion, the big star on this team is Fyodor Smolov, Krasnodar striker. He's been the top scorer in the Russian league for two years straight. He can win the title th- this year for the third year in a row. And he is uh, he's a great striker. And he has been linked to some European clubs in the past. Uh, he was apparently close to a move to West Ham last year, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. So yeah, he is the big star. And then you have players like uh, Alexander Golovin and the Milanchuk twins, all three midfielders who are 
I think they're all 21, and they are sort of seen as the, the future of Russian football. They're all really, really gifted young players, uh, brilliantly technically. They have a great view of the players, and if they move to, to big European clubs or move to European clubs in general soon, get away from Russia, develop even further, they can become really big players. I mean, they, they have so much potential, so it's all about what they want with their careers at this stage. So if you had to earmark one player that you feel like over the maybe the group stage, if we don't think Russia's going to make it out, that you feel is going to have a good tournament or just impress? I would say Alexander Golovin from uh, Cisco Moscow. I don't know if you watched the game Cisco, uh, Arsenal against the Arsenal. Other day. Yeah, he yeah. was he was fantastic. He was fantastic, and and he's such a talented player. He's yeah, he he really has the the whole package, and he he has been exciting to to follow for the last three seasons. I mean, it was Suski who gave him his debut, introduced him on the national team as well, and and he just keeps developing, keeps getting better and better. And I really think this uh, this World Cup will be a, a brilliant opportunity for him to to showcase his skills and hopefully take the next step in his career because he, he has already outgrown Russia, outgrown Francisco Moscow. He, he is that good. Mm. What are the expectations for Russians in this World Cup? Are they expecting to get out of the group? Are they expecting what? When Russia received the World Cup, the expectations were huge. I mean, Vitaly Mutko, who was sports minister at the time, talked about they could go to the semifinals. It was always un- unrealistic, but the expectations were that big. I mean, everybody thought, okay, this, this Russian team, we have... I think it was in 2010 they got it, or 2011. We have plenty of time to develop. It's, it will be at home. So there were really big expectations. But these days, I mean, after the Confederations Cup, I think most Russians just hope for the team not to sort of embarrass itself. I mean, Russia has only advanced from, from the group stage of an international tournament once. That was in 2008. So the country doesn't really have a, if you look apart from the Soviet Union, of course, but Russia itself doesn't really have a history of doing great things at international football tournaments. I mean, the general expectation is and the hope is that if they, if it can advance from the group stage, then that would be great. And anything for that, of course, that would be a disappointment. But that, that's not that high expectation, unfortunately. Who do you feel is going to win the World Cup, just as a general football question? Uh, I think France. Ooh, okay. They look, they look quite good when they played against Russia. They're strong on paper as well. Interesting. I, I normally end things like this. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel is really interesting about the Russian national team that you feel people would be interested in hearing? I think the most interesting interesting thing about this Russian national team is that apart from uh, Cherishev, who grew up in Spain, and uh, Roman Neustadter, who, uh, who played his entire career in Germany, all the players play in Russia. And that's because there's, in, in Russia, there's a limit on how many Russian players the teams have to field at all times which has, um, it has elevated, inflated the, the salaries of the Russian players, so they have no interest in leaving the country, which is why we see at 27, we still see Zagorov play in Russia, obviously, we still see Akintov play in Russia, even though they should have moved to a bigger European league many years ago, because they obviously outgrew the league, but they just earned so much money in Russia that they have no real reason to leave it, because of this uh, foreign limit. Other than the guy that you said is at Villarreal, is that the only player that's really of note that doesn't play in the Russian Premier League? And then they have uh, Roman Neustadt, who plays at Fenerbahce. And the, the third-string goalkeeper, Vladimir Gabalov, just moved to Club Brugge this, uh, in, uh, in January. So, yeah, those three. Interesting. So it, they're similar to England in that way. Yeah, but the difference, of course, is that the English players get matched at the, at the highest level, while the Russian players, the good ones, get matched at a level that isn't competitive enough for them to develop and that's why we see that's why i talk so much about these young players that i hope they move abroad so they can develop even further because i've seen how the was once a wonder kid and then how his development stopped because he wasn't match at a good enough level and now he's, he's a good player he could have been so much more if he had moved away from cisco moscow and the russian league Saudi Arabia. Let's do Saudi Arabia. Now, this is a country I didn't know anything about. I'm not even going to front like I know anything about Saudi Arabia, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't. But my, my thing, I, I just comment it from the underdog angle or the fact of like, look, man, they are coming in with no pressure whatsoever. Zero pressure. And I think because of that, that's always a very dangerous team to, to face. A team that has absolutely no pressure upon them and you know what like you can't dismiss any world cup team because they're all here for a reason they qualified asian qualifying is crazy but uh as as much as we don't know anything about saudi arabia collectively we did find someone our guy ahmed who lives in toronto saudi arabian he talked with me for about 10 minutes so this is our conversation with ahmed about saudi arabian football 
My name is Ahmed. I live here in Toronto, Canada. My Twitter is I'm at Neander. Uh, that's just me, Sarabian, living in Canada. I guess we're kind of in transition, kind of. We've, this is our third manager we've had since September. After when we qualified for the World Cup in September, after being in Japan, we fired our manager over a few disagreements with the Saudi Arabian FA. And so we switched to, um, we hired um, the former Argentinian manager, Eduardo Bauza. He was a manager for five games from September to November. And then again, we fired him over more disagreements. And now we've hired um, our current manager, Juan Antonio Pizzi, the former Chilean manager. And under him, we started becoming like a more of a passing team, started to play out the back a bit more, playing like a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 style, two defensive midfielders. And we have one player, our captain, who plays, in the, in, plays along in the double pivot. He's more of like the ball carrier. Um, his name is Tessier Jassim. He's been, I think he has over like 120 caps for us. And he's been like a mainstay in, this, in the team. And yeah, he's like the captain. He's the one who who takes control over in the midfield area in the double pivot, and he's kind of like the box to box player who helps out in attacking role, but also comes back to track back and help out on the defensive side of the game as well. Under Van Marwijk, we were a bit more direct style, just playing out to wingers, crossing it in. It worked. It was really good. We played this really solid defensive football as well. I think we only conceded like ten goals throughout the entire uh, qualification process, which was really impressive for a team that, considering we haven't made the World Cup for the past two events, so it's pretty good for us. But, of course, the board and with the Prince and the Royal Family becoming involved in this now that we've made the World Cup, there was disagreements over how the team should be should play and how it should be run, which player should be chosen. And, yeah, unfortunately, he was fired. Our Royal Family, the Saudi Arabian Royal Family, they have influence on the teams in the Saudi League and over the choosing of which managers should be in charge of the country as well. So, yeah, we're the national team. Kind of a weird situation, but that's how it is. Recently under Peace, we've been missing lots of key players because um, I'm not sure if you know, but we sent out our players to on loan out to La Liga in Spain. We sent our big players there so they could like, get custom training methods, you know, face tougher competition because Saudi League, to be honest, not that really, it's not really that good. But that plan hasn't worked out. None of our players have gone any single, not even a single minute in Spain. So the problem is with that, you know, they might not be match fit for the time of the World Cup and... There might not be enough team chemistry the players because they're all playing one team at in Saudi Arabia. So now they all went to Spain. So that there's kind of lack of team chemistry. So that's the problem and the worry that we have going into World Cup. Interesting. So could you kind of talk to me about the qualification process? Like, how did you guys do? You said you guys did fairly well. Um, yeah, we did pretty well, actually. We were in a group with Japan, Australia, who were always in, at the World Cup. For us, finishing second in that group, only behind Japan and beating out Australian gold differential. Really big achievement. We've also faced rivals and from the Middle East, such as the United Arab Emirates. We did well against them. We beat them in one game at home. We lost to them in the away game, but we still managed to pull through at the end of the came out to the final game against Japan, which we won at home one nothing. Mm. All right. So I, I kind of have a one question with two parts. Could you give me maybe what the the royal family feels? How far they should go? Maybe in your opinion, and then your expectations personally. So kind of the country's expectations for this World Cup and then your personal expectation. Uh, yeah, so I'll start with um, the royal family and like the country's expectations. Um, so our group, we have Russia, Egypt, and Uruguay. So I guess everyone especially Uruguay to go through. It's the other three, us, Russia, and Egypt, this is where we're just all fine for second spot. So I think when the groups were first drawn, I think people were kind of confident. Okay, Uruguay, for sure, for sure not going to beat them. But Egypt, nobody expected Mohamed Salah to like, have the season he's having right now. Like if for that, I think a lot of people would be even more confident about our, about our chances going through to the next round. On, about Russia, well, I don't even know that much about Russia, to be honest, myself. But they're the host country. They're going to be going all out for it. So that makes it a bit more difficult for us. But if we get a win in that first game against Russia, then, yeah, I think we could have a pretty good chance of securing a bit of confidence under PC and maybe even getting a point against Egypt. I think even four points could even might be enough. Four or five points could be enough to take us to the next round, to be honest, because it's such a three-way race for second. So there's an air of, of confidence, you think, in like Saudi, with Saudi fans? I wouldn't say exactly confidence, but there is optimism. We like the way PT started to be a more possession-style team. We have our key players coming back from injury, such as Noah Al-Abid. He's our star player, and he's just come back from injury. So if we can integrate him into the team and start to get the best out of him, then yeah, we could be maybe... Like a dark horse to advance from that group. Everyone's focused on Muhammad Salah this, Muhammad Salah that, and you know Russia being the host. But we could surprise some people, especially the way PT start to play us. I know we lost four nothing against Belgium, but it's gonna take a while for the process and everything to mold into what we want it to be. If we can get uh, the team to click and have our players who are alone in Spain, like if they can get match fit and start to build chemistry with the new players, then yeah, we could advance from that group. That's what I feel. Mm. Do you think there's anybody who? 
especially that first game against Russia, like the whole world is going to be watching that game. It's the first game of the World Cup. Um, this is going to be like a moment for you guys to kind of show what you're worth. Do, do you think there's one or two players who you feel like are really going to impress and maybe get moves or be able to play in Spain once people see them? Yes, for sure. So um, first one I'd say is um, Fadel Mualded. He's currently at uh, Levante in Spain. He was going out there, but obviously hasn't got any minutes. So he's like the left winger. He's really popular in Saudi Arabia. Like everyone knows him for because of his pace. It's unbelievable. He kind of like when Mohammed Salah is to Egypt, Egyptian fans, that's what he is to our Saudi fans. To us Saudi fans, he's just amazingly quick. He gets into dangerous positions in the box. He can be one v one. It's just hard to describe how good he is. Sometimes when he's when we see him play in Saudi Arabia for Etihad, the team he played for in Saudi Arabia, he's just lining quick. He could be his man one for one. He's a great crosser as well. And sometimes he'd pop up with the odd spectacular goal as well as he scored the big goal to send us to the World Cup as well against Japan. And yeah, he's our key player. And aside from him, let's see, there's also Salim Adostari, midfielder plays for Villarreal. He's going out there, but of course hasn't got any minutes. He can play on the right side, can play through the middle. I guess it, it was kind of the wrong decision to loan him out to Villarreal, to like a team which has strong midfield midfielders such as Fornells and Rodri. But, you know, we have faith in him because like he's shown throughout his time in Saudi Arabia that he can carry a team on his back as he did for his his club in Saudi Arabia, Al-Hilal. He carried them to league titles as well. And we're confident that if he can, we can get him match fit and Fahdim wanted match fit, he might be able to do some business. Interesting. Okay. Two things left. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? I'm asking this to everyone. Thanks, Brazil. I'm going with Brazil. I'll be like the way Tite's got them playing. I think Neymar, Jesus, Coutinho, they have a really strong some sort of chemistry going on between the three of them. And also, you know, the, their depth in attack. We got the game changers like Firmino, Willian, Douglas Costa off the bench. I think international games, they're redefined by quality. That one moment of quality and you have some player like Douglas Costa. He might not have the end product, but he's always going to create a chance. So Brazil favorites, you got like a number two. It seems like you like have maybe more than one team. Yeah, Brazil and Spain, because I <laughs> consider them. Yeah, I mean, like you look at the depth that they have in midfield, like Thiago, Busquets, Iniesta, they just crushed Argentina. I think like the chemistry Isco and Asensio have, and I guess for Spain, like you finally have a team which is building around Isco, and that's what you need. Like Isco is the sort of player that if you build around him, he's going to deliver. You saw him against Italy at the Bernabeu, I think, back in September. It's just amazing. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel like people should know or might want to know about Saudi Arabian football or Saudi Arabian football culture that you feel is interesting? Well, I think there's also been there's been like a lot of advancements in Arabian football, I guess, ever since the new prince came in, and now we finally allowed women to have a big role in football. We just allowed women, because up to this year, women weren't weren't even allowed to enter football stadiums in Arabia, which was it's kind of crazy to look at to think about right now. But that's the culture we lived in in Arabia. It looks like, it seemed like a small step, but for Saudi Arabian culture, it is a pretty large step. And now we start training them, we start training women referees as well, which is another big step. Next country, we have Egypt. Now, this is why we waited to do this this late, because I wanted to know what happens in the Champions League final before we do this. And the injury to Mohamed Salah is devastating because... Yeah, and I think yeah, they're saying three weeks maximum, no less than three weeks. Opening game is touching ball, most likely not for the opening game, so he has the two other games. If Mohamed Salah is on form, which is a big, big question mark, they're probably the best chance of getting somewhere. I Egypt? Mean, I, man, come on, bro. I mean, like, yeah, Salah has had an amazing season, but you're telling me that if Salah is fully on form, Egypt are Africa's best hope? You're Nigerian, so obviously you're going to be a bit biased here. No, no, but... that's what, for me, it's not even, no, basically, to me, like, the most talented team I feel overall are Senegal. The team that I think that may... Look, man, don't sleep on Tunisia, don't sleep on Morocco. I think that as, as a team as a whole, I think Tunisia and Morocco may be better as a team as well. Egypt are pretty good, but I don't think Egypt, even with Salah, are that much better than Morocco and Tunisia. Remember, this is international for football. And yes, Salah may have been amazing for Liverpool, pretty good for Egypt, but in Africa. And look, he he was he was for Egypt in the, in the Nations Cup, but they lost to Cameroon, who didn't even qualify for the World, World Cup. So the reason I say Egypt are Africa's best chance is because I think if you just look at the groups the yeah. African nations are in, Senegal play, play Spain or Portugal in the next round. And no, no. Round. OK, but like there's no guarantee that any other African country gets out of the group. Egypt are in a particularly good position because they're in a group with Saudi Arabia and they're in a group with Russia. All the other mm. African nations, if you look at Nigeria, you have Croatia, you mm. have Argentina. If you look at Senegal, you have Colombia, you have Poland. 
If you look at uh, Tunisia, they're in a group with England and Belgium. If you look at Morocco, they're in the group with Spain and Portugal. There's no guarantee. I think Egypt is probably guaranteed to get to the round of 16 if Salah's on form, which at least gives them a chance against either Portugal or Spain. No, so for, for me, I, so it's just it's it's just percentages for me. For me, I still feel like everybody's in a tough position because yeah, like for me, I think strongest team definitely in Group A is Uruguay. But um, that host thing is is big, and for me, I'm not gonna put money on Egypt beating Russia on home soil. Uruguay, yeah, for sure. But I'm not gonna put money on Egypt with a fully fit Salah beating Russia on home soil. In and, 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 and I mean, uh, the the element of Putin exists. Oh yeah, in a way that. Maybe in other like last time in Bra- in Brazil, like Brazil is nice enough to where they don't have to cheat. Look, South Korea is the only one where look, they, everyone got <laughs> everyone, everyone got in, in, a nice fat check. So. Yeah, wait, okay. So to hear more about Egypt, uh, this is Ahmad Youssef at Egyptian Players. Really, really cool conversation that I got to have with him, and uh, yeah, just enjoy the conversation and uh, hopefully you learn something. Hi, I'm, I'm Ahmed Youssef. I am um, mainly writing about Egyptian footballers abroad and, and we cover a lot of foreign players playing outside of Egypt and the national team. Looking back 10, 15 years ago, um, we had a kind of a golden generation that never reached the World Cup. We were playing some excellent attacking football um, and that was kind of exciting. We were going out and we beat Italy. We were taking Brazil, but we, you know, giving them good, strong games. We lost 4-3 to them. We had such a good attacking mindset. Over the years, we haven't had the same um, same kind of level of players. And with the latest manager, Hector Cooper, who's been uh, managing for about three years now, he uh, kind of backs everything on sitting back and defending. And that's kind of the style we've now become used to, just sitting back and not really attacking games. We've only got one real attacking threat in Mohamed Salah, so we kind of just play uh, on the counter-attack, really. I guess if you want to watch exciting football, I don't think uh, watching the Egypt games is probably the best, your best bet. The two centre-backs, uh, you'll probably be familiar with them. So it's Ahmed Hegazi, who plays for West Brom, and um, Ali Gob, who went on loan to West Brom. He's still yet to play a single game. There's a relatively solid centre uh, partnership there. Then on the right you know, right back, you've got Ahmed El-Mohammadi, or a guy called Ahmed Fathi, who used to play for Hull City. Uh, then you've got Elneny in the middle holding uh, alongside a man named Tariq Hamid, who plays in Zemelik. That kind of midfield two isn't very creative. They're good kind of interceptors of the ball there. You, you, you see down any play, he he won't drive forward with the ball and and pick out passes like you, De Bruyne or Eriksen like that. He's just very solid, but he don't, doesn't do anything extra. Then you've got kind of the front four, who is probably going to be Abdullah Saeed, who plays, who's just moved to the, the Finnish league. He's aging, he's 32, and he's our most creative player. I think he's the uh, he, he's one of very few players that actually, other than Salah, who's scored in the World Cup campaign so far, Seven out of our nine goals have come from Salah, and one of one of the others was from Abdullah Saeed. And one of the, one of the positions where we we had a huge issue is up front. Um, in the Africa Cup of Nations in January 2017, we played the majority of the tournament with a winger up front named Kahraba. Two reasons: Cooper only took with him two strikers, and they both got injured. And it, not necessarily his fault. There there weren't that many strikers to take, but that's one area we we, we lack hugely in. So it kind of forces all the pressure on Salah to, to get the goals. On the other on the other side, on the, on the left wing, you've got Trezeguet, who um, his name's his name's Mahmoud Hassan. He's nicknamed Trezeguet um, because he kind of looks like Trezeguet. I, I think that's one thing in Egypt you find a lot a lot of players are given official nicknames that aren't their actual names. So he wears Trezeguet on the back of his shirt, even though he's not. You know, he's just a nickname. They like, for example, do you know Mido, the the, the former Spurs striker? Mido is just a nickname. It's not. His, he's also his name's. He's got Ad Hassan. His name is. So yeah. I never do that. Yeah, yeah. Again, there's there's another Egyptian player in the team called Shikabalo, which is just his nickname. But yeah. Could you could you talk to us a little bit about that qualification you guys got in on the last on the, basically the last second Salah scored a penalty like you guys didn't have an easy group um Ugandan so I was pretty aware of of what you guys were up to but you guys had us who was pretty difficult surprisingly you had Ghana who was the other team Congo I believe so. So exactly. I mean, we we surprised ourselves through the group stages because obviously you see Ghana and you see yourselves in Congo. And I th- I think we've we've been in the previous we've been in the African Cup qualifiers together as well. Um, and we haven't got through previously, so it wasn't it wasn't an easy group at all. Especially Ghana, kind of with a bit le- big letdowns in the group. We had a good start. We we went three games unbeaten, and then we we go to Uganda and 
um, kind of upset us a bit where we, we lost 1-0 and then the reverse game we, we won 1-0 and it meant that we could win it by beating Congo at home and, and as you said the, the kind of the viral videos of Mohamed Salah um, scoring the 95th minute penalty in Cairo um, so obviously in front of the home fans and yeah that was it was a pretty emotional game I mean just kind of seeing us conceding a, a quite late I can't remember the exact uh, time of the goal but we were 1-0 up until you know the 80th minute or something or the 87th minute and they go and, and nick a goal back and it was quite devastating I mean it was it was quite heartbreaking and then obviously we just kind of put everyone forward and by chance we managed to get a, a lucky penalty and then Mohamed Salah stepped up and you could see emotion in his eyes he was you know, crying as he was taking this penalty he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders um, and he managed to score. And I mean, a lot of people also don't know that it wasn't the last chance for us to qualify. There was one more game left in the group stages, but it meant a lot to us to kind of win it in Egypt. And it meant that the last game against Ghana was um, was made redundant. Are Egyptians feeling good about your chances to qualify from a group? Let's start by saying I think Egypt kind of, sorry, football plays such a massive part in Egyptian people's lives. Like it, it kind of dominates the economy, it dominates the politics, it kind of affects everyone. And if you think about it, a lot, a lot of people haven't actually seen Egypt play ever in a World Cup. So there's a huge amount of excitement for a country that is like very football mad. I think there is a sense of excitement. You've got to think with your head and think, think with your heart. I think um, if you look, if you think with your heart, we think we, we all want to go and qualify, um, come out of the group stage. And I think that is a, a, a semi-realistic target. You look at Uruguay, probably going to be the group favourites. But then you've got Russia, who we are about 20 points ahead, of, uh, 20 places ahead of them in the FIFA World Rankings. But they're playing at home. Um, it makes a huge difference, really. So it is going to be very tough for us, I think. Um, if I'm thinking logically, the, the game against Russia is going to be the most important game for us because we have to make sure that we kind of don't lose. Uh, that's kind of the most important thing. I'll be really happy if we, if we, if we come out of group stages in second place. But I'm not sure how likely that is, to be honest. Oh, wow. You probably have the best player in the group, other than maybe, you know, Suarez and maybe Cavani, those guys. And that's that's the thing. It's it's quite frustrating kind of watching Mohamed Salah because you look at him in Liverpool and how amazing he's doing. But the differences that he has, just a lot of players around him that help him. And the Egyptian team at the moment just doesn't have any creative player. There, there is no one to kind of help him. There is no attacking tactical system. It's kind of just long balls over the top. You never know. It could something could come out of that. And I mean, in the late in the last two friendlies, we we played Portugal, where we've dominated for for the majority of the game, but we managed to nick a goal through Mohamed Salah, and and that's the type of play we're gonna. We we eventually lost two one. Cristiano Ronaldo scored two injury time head uh, goals, but it's the fact that with Salah, yeah, as you said, anything can happen really. So you never know. We might end up nicking a goal against Uruguay, and that kind of changes the whole thing really. So hopefully he can come up with, with something magical. So there is there is optimism. It's not all doom and gloom, but you kind of have. <laughs> logically think about it do we have the overall team to you know do it? and i've seen some people say oh egypt have a chance of reaching the semi-final and i'm like well we could if salah turns on and, and is magical um that could happen but how likely is that with the team around him we don't know who do you think's one player that's going to be like yo this guy's really good and i feel like he's going to maybe get a move to a bigger club or something along those lines because you don't sound that confident so i'm wondering is yeah. there anybody else other than salah that you feel like yo this is going to be a big moment for them. I, I just mentioned Trezeguet. Um, been in there for six, seven months, and he's already scored the most amount of goals of any Egyptian in the Turkish league. He's he's doing well. He won our, he won us the penalty that Salah scored. Like he's puts himself in, in attacking positions. Abdullah Saeed as well. He's relatively good, um, but he's gone to the Finnish league to try and get more game time because he wasn't getting it at Al Ahly. He's one to look out for. We've got a player called Kahraba who, again, Kahraba just trans, translates into, it's, it means electricity. So his real name's uh, Abdul Munim. He, he's very, as his name goes, very electric. He's, he's a bit eccentric, so he can sometimes have a great game and sometimes not. Take Mohamed Elneny, for example. In the last couple of months, he's been doing so well at Arsenal. When he was about to leave last summer to Leicester City, all of a sudden he stayed and he's improved a lot. And I think he's going to have an excellent World Cup. And I was a critic of him. Maybe up front, you've Marwan Mohsin, who's the second striker. He's been injured for 11 months and he's coming back from injury. I watched him in the friendlies, in the friendly against uh, Greece. When he played really well, so he could have an excellent, an excellent World Cup. And there's one player called Hussein Al Shahed, plays in in the Emirates, and uh, he he played. He had his debut game against Greece as well, coming on in the second half as an attacking midfielder, and, and he showed exactly what we need. Um, but I think it's too early for him to start. But that's kind of a player that kind of wants to look out for if he does come on. What well, not one player who might light the world up by stage, but one player who definitely will 
grab some headlines is our goal is our starting goalkeeper. I was just Tanner about Hudley. to ask you about him. Aged forty five, he's expect he's gonna expect it to be the oldest goalkeeper to, to play in a world or oldest player to play in a World Cup. But on looking at it, it seems really interesting and, and funny, but it just shows the lack of uh, lack of other goalkeeping options we have at the moment. El Hadri's, you say 45. I, I feel like he's probably one of your biggest stories other than Salah. Like, he's like, I don't know, Egyptian Buffon at this point, maybe? Is it maybe a good way to put it? Like, but just older? It's, it's so true. I think he has been likened to Buffon. He's he's the most successful African... Uh, he's won four that's African Cup of Nations. That will put him third in, in, the, in the African charts and if comparing with any other country. He's been there, he's done that, but he's just has never been into... No, you know, he never got into the World Cup during his playing career. He's a very funny character to watch play. Without a shadow of a doubt, every time he makes one save, he will stay on the ground for a couple of you know seconds extra and, and kind of rolling around and injuries and gets up straight away and then we'll, we'll go and do something special. But I think with uh, with him, he, he didn't get into the team for a, for a couple of years. In about 2016, he was out of favour. But when, when he was back, it subconsciously puts this kind of safety net in the in the team's mind. They, they've known what he's done. He's been an excellent goalkeeper. So the players seem to play with a bit of calmness when he's at the back. So he's a really interesting player. If, if you had to give me your expectation, not necessarily the expectation for the country, but what do you? how far do you think Egypt will go? I don't think we'll get through. The way we played in the two friendlies against Portugal and Greece, they, they were flattering. They were flattering scorelines, you know, 2-1 against Portugal and 1-0 against Greece. Um, in the Greece game, we should have been battered 4-5-0. Um, there there's not a single attacking threat. And Mohamed Salah didn't play in the Greece in in, in, the, in the match against Greece. Cooper is a, is a type of manager who will never get humiliated. He's he's kind of ne- he's never lost a match by more than one goal, and he's kept eighteen clean sheets out of three thirty three matches. So he's he's not the type of manager to just let everything go and, and and go for it. I think that we might nick a goal here and there. It's I think the most important game will be the Russia game because I don't see us kind of beating Uruguay. Um, they're quite strong in Ivani and and Suarez. There's not much kind of hope against our our defense really. Mm. Okay, so if Egypt don't win the World Cup, which we don't think is going to happen, yeah. who who do you think is going to win the World Cup? I'm asking this to everyone. I look at Germany. I'm like, well, they could they can easily win it. But every every World Cup, you always think that the, the previous winner is gonna is gonna do well. Um, I think Belgium have quite a, a, a good chance as well. De Bruyne is in unbelievable form, and you've got you've got around him you know, Vertonghen and Hazard as well. So they've got a good chance. But again, they've never really performed that well um, uh, together as a, as a team. Um, so I'd probably say um, Germany, to be honest. Okay. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think people would think is interesting? About the Egyptian national team, maybe a stat, maybe a storyline. Um, Didier Drogba uh, was once asked in a Chelsea magazine who, you know, his most difficult opponent that he's ever come across was, and he mentioned Samuel Hadri because I think in the in the about over ten plus games that they've played against each other, he's only managed to score one goal against him, and he saved a penalty against him before. So that was a really interesting fact about Samuel Hadri. All right, last country of this group, we have Uruguay. Well, nine points is is possible. I mean, yeah. Look, this whole Russia thing. Yes, it's it may be a thing, but I still expect Uruguay to beat Russia, even even with with, with the whole um, thing in Magic, you know. So you know, this is Luis Suarez, Ed, Edison Cavani, uh, Maxi Pereira, one. Diego Godin. These are this is their last World Cup potentially. Uh, uh, is this like a semi-finalist team or quarterfinal? How do we feel about them? No, I mean, for me, I think, no, like, second round maximum. Because, again, if they go through, I don't see them beating either Spain or, or Portugal. So, round of 16 max? Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> That's tough, man. I mean, yeah, no, look, mommy, like, I can't I can't give them anything. They, they have that. goals in their team. But but, 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 but you know how we talk about, I, I, I think we, we were talking about um, Higuain in, mm. in a previous podcast. Carl brought up that Higuain's not a great tournament striker. And that he'll he'll get you the twenty five goals in a season, no problem. But in this maximum of seven games, the three definite, but in a maximum of seven games, can Higuain score you enough goals in that small section or that small uh, window in, in wait, order wait, to wait, I, wait? Don't you mean Cavani? I'm getting there. I was going to relate Higuain to Cavani in that way, where they get so many chances that in a season they'll score a bunch. But in this small sample of what we'll, we'll, we'll say Uruguay have four games, right? In the three group and then the round of 16. Mm. Can Cavani get you three goals, four goals? I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. I think he might He might get you one or no, two. No, I mean, I mean, like, it's like there's a difference between players like Cavani, Higain, and Closer. 
Like, Klose was never really a domestic guy who can give you 40, 38 goals. But when it counts and you need a goal, Klose is the kind of guy that can score that goal when it counts. That's why he was so good in international. Mm. But Cavani and Higain, they're, they're not clutch. Like, Klose, Klose was the definition of, of clutch. You know, maybe yeah, maybe you have clutch. Suarez there who can help. But yeah, but, but I think, again, gonna be... these guys are, are getting old, you know. They're all getting old. Yeah, I mean, oh, we have we have Godin. I mean, do you love Godin in that way? Like, is he on that list with like Chiellini? Oh no, no, no. For me, he's he's probably the best central defender. I would say outright. Uh, this is our interview or our conversation, rather. I, I should I should call it with Jesse Loesch. Uh Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. And uh, yeah. So my name is Jesse. Uh, my Twitter handle is super boring and uncreative. It's just at Jesse Loesch. I teach preschool and I do some Spanish interpreting for survivors of sex trafficking. And I cry a lot over soccer. I think any culture will probably tell you that they dig their heels in and never give up, but it's not pretty football. You know, there's no tiki-taka, there's no samba, um, there's no beautiful game necessarily, but it's called Garra Charrua in Uruguay, which I don't know if there's an English translation, but it's like a grit. It gets the job done. I think iconically um, for me, the two things that stick out are the um, heat maps of the 2010 World Cup. Uruguay had the least amount of passes and yet we made it to fourth with some, you know, moments of uh, controversy, definitely, but some unbeaten games. And there is an image of Diego Perez, el Russo, with his face just smashed and bloody. And he is striding to the sideline to strip his shirt off, wipe his face on his old bloody shirt and get right back on the pitch because nothing matters except except winning. You know, as much as I think Suarez commands international attention, it is very much a team style play. Could you kind of explain to me how you guys did in, in qualification? God, it was so nerve wracking. Um, yeah, we finished second in the table. We were 10 points under Brazil and three three above Argentina but if you look at that like that doesn't really tell you the like telenovela that was the qualifying process um you know for the first couple bits Ecuador was top and then we lost away to Ecuador our opening match was a a 2-0 winner at altitude in La Paz and with a with a goal from Godin of all people so really like there was nothing, nothing normal about this. You know, we had a tie in Brazil, in Recife. Uh, Suarez was really, during qualifiers, never at 100% fitness, just to give everybody, like, agony and anxiety. And then, ugh, there was this just terrible, horrible, like, no good, very bad loss at home to Brazil, which just made me say words that I should never say in front of family members, and I did, and a lot of languages. Um, <laughs> so it was just so bad. But it was like that jostling for for position among the top and the bottom that like you really didn't know really ultimately until the end who was going to qualify. And and like you said, even if Brazil, um, until Cheech really came in, was how they were going to do. What are the kind of expectations for Uruguay for this World Cup, would you say? Okay, at this moment, it's for... Suarez, Godin, and Cavani not to get injured. Because that's what happened in 2014 was a spate of injuries, which was terrible. Um, once we get into the into the World Cup, it's really for us to play smart, which I don't want to I think everybody knows what that means for Luis Suarez. Don't bite people? To, you know, no, yeah, what, you know I was going to say it a little bit more democratically and euphemistically, but sure. Like, you know, I teach preschool. It means, like, keep your body to yourself. And I, uh, I, I seem to remember in the last World Cup him biting an Italian. Yeah, and now they're friends. You know? <laughs> they went out for steak. Okay. That's so nice. I'm also a vegetarian, so if they want to go out for tofu, that's also nice. But we want him to be friends, like, without the biting first. Like, you eliminate that step. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. What's your team? I'm Canadian, so we never make the World Cup, and um, oh. Ugandan, so we mm. we, we kind of almost I I had hope, but yeah, you know Egypt. Uh, speaking of the group, oh, I mean no. you, you 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 guys are generally the favorites to top this group. So okay, you're jinxing me all over the place. This is not good. This is what the world thinks. Right. Well, here are the fears. The fears are Mo Salah is like it not human. Like I, he's just 
ridiculous and uh, could probably beat any team just by himself without the rest of Egypt behind him. But Egypt is pretty good. So I don't think anyone can discount them. And ridiculously, I mean, I'm, again, sitting in my New York apartment. So that is in America. And I don't know if, I mean, I know you're Canadian and that's like a paradise, but I'm not so sure that Russia isn't going to meddle in the World Cup like they meddled in our <laughs> elections. Like, who knows? I don't know if Putin's a soccer fan. We might not even get a World Cup the way the things are headed. Um, That's the thing. If you had some players to watch, because we, we know the, the the usual suspects. You've named some of them. Godin, Jimenez. Um, is Maxi Pereira still going to be there? Oof. You know, the thing with Tavares, and I am, a, I know there's, you know, some people will tell you that he needed to go back in 2014, but I think as long as he has the player support, he's talismanic, and I think that matters so much. It's the, it's the emotion. I think that the, the El Maestro piece of it is 80% of it for us, and he does rely on this this old guard, both for their playing abilities, but also for their mentorship. So I'm not sure about Maxi, but I do think we're going to see Carlos Sanchez, who I happen to love and I think is playing, you know, at 33, still really at peak level, you know, getting so many minutes at Monterrey. What I'm excited about that I don't think we saw at all in 2014 is sort of this resurgence of mentorship ability from players like Godin, like Suarez, like Cavani, and even now from Nico Lodeiro, along with this youth squad that came up from the ranks of like the sub-13 together, that won at sub-17, that did really well at sub-20, and has now gotten the chance to play with the national team. So they're like meshing really well. They're finally sort of gelling and getting chances. So it's Betancourt who's been playing at Juve. Juve, you know, has had their own issues, but he himself has played so well with the national team. You know, he's 20, I think. Um, He came from the Boca Youth Academy. He's both footed. And I think if he can play, if he could be the playmaker and sort of give Cavani service and free up Cavani from like feeling like there's so much pressure on his shoulders, then that can make a big difference. I think Lucas Torreira, who's like teeny beeny tiny, the kind of like messy like stature also plays in Italy. Um, he's super fast. I'm, I'd be really excited to see him on, you know, on the bench or, or even maybe a starter if we can. But there are all these young players. Valverde is just having an unbelievable start. And I would never have said this in a bajillion years, but Coates went from being like someone who I thought should have given up football entirely and maybe taken up a second career in like curling or plumbing <laughs> to <laughs> I don't, somehow playing really, really, really well. So I will not be upset to see him back as a starter unless he, you know, messes up and then I just will say bad things about him again. If you could pinpoint one for me who you feel like the eyes of the world are going to be on Group A, this guy's going to get three games to maybe get his move to a big European club or what have you. If you had to give me one name, who would you give me? Can I give you two? You can give Is me that two. cheating? Okay, no, I cheating. think um, Naita Nandes, who just moved from Peñarol to Boca, and I think if he plays as well as he has been playing in South America, the trajectory will be phenomenal. I haven't seen anyone like him in a while. I could see him going to Mexico if he keeps going. If he if he doesn't have like a superstar World Cup, but if he does, it's Italy or Spain. He's so good and he's so confident. And I do think that Betancourt um, is sort of wasted at Juve. So if somebody else sees what he can do and gives him a chance, he'll explode. Mm. All right. So if, if I could press you to tell me how far you think Uruguay is going to get um, okay, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to forget I ever, ever said it. This is being recorded. I know, I know, but I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> I'll listen to all the other ones, I promise. Um, quarter. Quarterfinal. All right, okay. I won't press you on it. Um, <laughs> who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Um, Brazil, right? I mean, they just like ridiculous it. I made up a word for them. Cheech has it, what they came from and became like, I didn't, South America was like in shock. Potentially they wouldn't qualify. They were a mess 
And he mm -hmm. came and he just whipped them into shape and made them a team that didn't, you know, just rely on Neymar and gave them their their sense of self back. And they were unstoppable in the last half of qualifiers. So it's hard to contend with them when they're on. A, and plus they have so much to win back. Mm. You know, I think they're going to really want to like whip Germany back. And they have they have a lot to, to say. All right. This is last question. This is one I'm asking okay. everybody. Is there anything okay. I haven't asked you about Uruguay that you feel is kind of interesting and you think people probably should know or might want to know about the Uruguay national team? Um. I mean, everything. I love them. Everyone should go. Um, Tavares, El Maestro Tavares, still teaches the coach. He's still, he's a professional teacher, professor. And, oh, and um, if anybody speaks Spanish, it's just, just like an adorably nerdy thing that Edison Cavani still calls, so now Godin, but it used to be Lugano. He uses the formal Spanish because he wants to give whoever is the captain respect like, like in French, he wouldn't say tu, he would say vous? Yes, so in Spanish, he wouldn't say tu, he would say usted. How, well, aren't they all relatively in the same age group? Yep, yep. No, he just wants to give the captain that, that bit of respect. Yeah, well, those are all my questions. Let's hope Suarez doesn't eat anyone. Oh. And, uh, yeah. So now, business. Who goes through? Which two countries from Group A are, are you saying go through? Probably, it would probably be Uruguay and Egypt, I'd say, yeah. Uruguay, Egypt. Uruguay and Egypt. I'm saying Uruguay and Russia. Oh, so then you don't feel Egypt will then be, will go, because you're all talking about Egypt being Africa's main hope and they have the best chance of going through. So if they, if they don't go, go through, I, I guess the continent is... Yeah, I was thinking about it as we were having the discussion and I was just like, I don't think Putin takes a World Cup and his country gets knocked out in the group stage. Yeah. Again, like I don't know how Putin can co-sign that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Minus if, if it's minus conspiracy, then it's Uruguay, Egypt. I agree with you. But if I think what I think is gonna happen happens, I think Wait, wait, what's like <laughs> refereeing? Just weird refereeing decisions, controversial decisions here and there. Maybe like a, a goalkeeper letting in a goal that maybe he should. So basically a Loris Carrier situation, but like on the tick, like where somebody gets a, a brown paper back at the end of the game. <laughs> Some rubles. Russia, I feel like I feel like Russia might go through. But minus minus any of that. I know I'm kind of you know hedging my bets here, but I think I have to in this situation. It should be Uruguay, Egypt. But uh, you know, we're gonna have to watch the Russia games quite carefully. So the first game is Russia, Saudi Arabia. I'm super excited for that game. Like the World Cup is here 10 days, nine days from now. That's our that's our group A kind of roundup coverage. A big thank you to Tok, Ahmed, Ahmad, and, and Jesse uh, for taking time out of your schedule to come help us do this. I, I implore everyone to go follow them on Twitter. You won't be disappointed if you want to know more about these teams as, as the World Cup progresses. So those are definitely four people you should go follow. Um, tomorrow we're going to come out with Group B. Remember to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, follow us on SoundCloud, um, follow us on Instagram. Remember, um, subscribe on iTunes. Leave some iTunes five-star reviews. or read them on the show. And, yeah, appreciate you guys for listening. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.